0: Uh, evening folks. My name is uh, Eldon. I'm a pastor here at Central. Privileged to work with Pastor Chris and, um, and I find myself most days over in Agassiz at our campus there. So it's a real privilege for me to be here tonight to, uh, to open God's Word with you and, uh, and uh, it's, it's just uh, so good to be here. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Chris introduced a, a series we're going through this fall called Doubt. And if you have one of these books, I'd encourage you to take some notes in it. It's uh, page 12 we find ourselves at tonight. And and the, uh, the title or the topic for the first sermon in this series, uh, Pastor Chris has some of these books if you want on page 12, is why would God, a good God, allow such evil and suffering in the world? Just a light topic for a Saturday night. Uh, The question of why God would allow such horrendous evil and suffering that we see around us is consistently the biggest barrier, uh, biggest doubt to faith that there is. The loss of loved ones, broken families, abuse, rape, murder, Terrorism, racism, mental illness, depression, suicide, poverty, starvation, addiction, infertility, bankruptcy, loneliness. These are all things that cause us to question and to doubt the goodness of God or even his very existence. So Marcy and my wife, uh, my wife, uh, and Marcy and my wife, that doesn't sound very good. Marcy, my wife, (laughs) who's over here with me tonight. Uh, We received a message just the other day that uh, someone who is very close to us had been praying that God would kill him, and it broke our hearts. He had had enough of the suffering and the torment of his mental illness, which has been plaguing his mind and his heart and his body and his soul for almost 30 years now, and he just wanted it to end. It's a tough message to get. And just on Wednesday, in a pastoral credentialing interview that I participated in, I heard the heart-wrenching story of a couple who recounted for us the loss of their infant daughter just after birth. And the tailspin of depression and pain that that event put them in as a couple, particularly the husband, as he was the one who removed himself from the birthing table and witnessed the doctor's inability to resuscitate his newborn baby. And he was traumatized for a long time watching that. Uh, Just a few hours ago, I participated in a funeral in Agassiz where a 50 year old woman died from liver failure who struggled um, a lot in life and had an illness That was devastating to her family. So how is it possible that we, as we observe all of these things, and that's just scratching the surface of of evil, of suffering, of bad things that happen, to not only claim that there is a God, but that he's good. So David Hume, 18th century Scottish philosopher said this, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. Is he able to, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? So to state it another way, terrible stuff happens in our world all the time. So either God is all-powerful, but he's not good enough to end evil and suffering, or else he might be all-good, but he's not powerful enough to end all of this evil and suffering. Either way, the all-good, all-powerful God of the Bible can't exist. Doesn't fit with my reality, my worldview. So here's the thing though. We can philosophize and we can theologize all we want, but that in itself would be insufficient because evil and suffering aren't just things that we think about, we feel them deeply. Our doubts, Um, aren't just intellectual, they're emotional. Our mind and our heart are affected. And the the reality is what happens here, when bad things happen, it affects our heart immediately. It deeply impacts our mind. So the challenge I face as I preach is that what happens here is painful. Uh, In fact, the scripture that... Pastor Chris read, the short stories that I just shared have already impacted, probably triggered some of you in your field of work, in your family, where where you've seen tragedy and you've seen suffering. And so some of you tonight are in a place of pain, and you might be, in fact, suffering greatly right at this very moment, and I want to be very sensitive to that. But here's what I also know, in the words of C.S. Lewis, he said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so I am confident that God will speak to us tonight, I'm confident of that. He has already, Pastor Chris read the word, and I want to talk about three different things, that as it relates to Jesus and how he enters into our suffering. The first thing that I want to talk about is when Jesus is a no-show. <laughs> doesn't show up. Second is when Jesus shows up. And the third is when Jesus shows up in power. So let's talk about when Jesus is a no-show. Uh, our text begins by telling us that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick. And being friends with Jesus, they sent word to help him because they knew him as the healer. Jesus will take care of this. And verse five tells us that Jesus loved this family. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus deeply. But then surprisingly, the text says, so when, they, when he heard, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Hmm. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Thanks for dropping everything and coming to heal our brother. So question for you. Have you ever called out to Jesus and he didn't respond? It's a no-show. You know, he could have showed up, but he didn't. And in those moments, it feels like Jesus just doesn't care. Does he really love me? The text tells us that he loves them. but it, So is there anything that he can do? The text will show that, yes, there is something he can do. But in this moment, when Jesus didn't respond, the question was, does he care? Does he love me? And we're all familiar, all of us, I think, here with the scenario that's happening with, with Mary and with Martha at this point. Something in our lives is going really wrong. And and Marcy and I have been there many times. <laughs> we have had tremendous challenges in our life with uh, uh, us into things happening to us individually. Things as a couple, we're just about 30 years married, so there's just a few things that have happened to us. Things that have happened to us as they pertain to our kids and our extended family. Very challenging things. So if something is going wrong, and we truly believe that Jesus has the power to change the situation. That He loves us enough to do so. So when He doesn't do what we ask or expect, we're not only puzzled, but we're hurt and we're confused, and we go, "Where are you, Jesus?" So was it, was it unloving of Jesus to wait two more days to respond to this crisis? Would have felt that way to Mary and Martha. It would have felt maybe like betrayal. Um, and your feelings, and, and I've had these feelings, would be telling you Jesus maybe doesn't love you. He's not coming because he doesn't care about your circumstances. Maybe you're saying he doesn't exist or he can't do anything about it if he does. But this story is about to teach us otherwise. You see, Jesus gives a reason to his disciples in verse 4. He said to them, This illness, when they heard about Lazarus, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And here's what Jesus is saying, that there is nothing that happens that is, first of all, not under his watch. He knows about it. He knew about it before Mary and Martha picked up the phone or sent the text message. (laughs) But... There's nothing that he doesn't know about, but there's nothing that is without purpose. Sorrow, sickness, death, nothing happens to you or to me that God doesn't permit for a reason. It's hard to understand, but God has a purpose when we can't see it. You will not encounter any situation in life in which God cannot be glorified. So maybe you have a horrible situation at work. You have a boss that is just almost impossible to work with. You have a challenging marriage. You have crushing debt. (laughs) You have a dysfunctional family. Um, Like I think it's Patsy Claremont said that normal is only a setting that's on your dryer, (laughs) right? (laughs) You show me a normal family and I'll just sit down to dinner with them and see how long that lasts. Um, heartbreak and loss. The thing is God can be glorified in every situation and we're going to talk about that. And in fact, I would argue that it is in pain and in suffering that God's glory has the opportunity to be seen in the greatest of ways. So back to the couple that I shared at the beginning who lost their baby at birth. And I quote, quote, This was powerful there was a lot of tears in the room on Wednesday they said suffering is not opposed to the power and goodness of God God's power is seen and manifest in suffering and they experienced his power and his goodness in ways that they had never experienced it before not immediately but later And so this flies in the premise of what we typically live by, that if God exists, then his goal for human life is happiness in the world, but the Christian view is that the chief end of humanity is not happiness in this world, but it is the glory of God. That's the chief end of man, is to love God and enjoy him forever and give him glory, uh, which will ultimately bring true and eternal human fulfillment, not our happiness, You see, many evils occur that may seem utterly pointless with respect to the goal of happiness in the world, but they may not be unjustified with respect to producing the knowledge of God and his glory. And so as followers of Jesus, we must learn to ask, and this is hard, I admit this, this is really hard, of any and every situation, not so much, what is the quickest way out of this so that I can get on to being happy again, so much as how can I give glory in to God in this. So you might say, you're, you, you know, if I could read your minds as you're sitting there tonight, may, you may say, well, that's nice, Pastor. Really nice. But you have no idea. You have no idea. And you're right. For, for most of you, I, I have no idea what's going on in your mind and in your heart right now, the, the things that you've been through in your life. But listen, I could talk to you all day long, literally, about the suffering of my soul. But let's just say that me standing here today preaching this sermon to all of you is a miracle and a testament to God's glory all in itself for many reasons. And I give God glory. People compliment me often when I speak and I say, God is good. God is good. You see, at this moment, I could be preaching to juries. Um, I, I wanted to be a prosecutor. That was my goal in life. I, after high school, I had plans to attend the University of Saskatchewan. I always have to throw in a little thing for the prairies. I wanted to study law. I wanted to go on to be a great lawyer. I wanted to eventually be, work for the crown and be a prosecutor to put bad guys away. For a long time. I wanted to set the record straight. I wanted to seek justice, if not revenge, for the sexual and psychological abuse and its lingering effects in my life that I suffered as a 10-year-old at the hands of a serial pedophile. (laughs) But for his glory, God redeemed me and my situation and by his grace and for his glory, I stand here tonight before you only by those two things. (laughs) Eldon has nothing to offer you tonight. I have nothing to offer you, but God does. (laughs) Because he's gracious when we give him glory. He's gracious despite us lacking to give him glory. Now, we can feel like God doesn't care about us, but only his glory. (laughs) But we need not pit those two things against each other. The text tells us that Jesus stayed for two reasons. He stayed away for two reasons, for the glory of God and also because of his love for this family. So, yes, the, the ultimate purpose of our lives is to give God glory, but that doesn't mean the exclusion of his love for us because he loves us in our suffering. And I've experienced that. The glory of God and the love of God are not opposites. In fact, they are synonymous. So Jesus tells his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And so at this point, the the disciples are, I'm sure, a little bit confused. And he said, well, hang on a second, Jesus. Uh, Maybe if, if Lazarus is having a good nap, you know, he's down with a fever, And uh, it's not looking too good for him right now. But he's sleeping. He'll get over it. (laughs) Uh, Let's not go back that direction. Because the last time we were there, they tried to kill you. So, like, uh, let's not risk our lives. Just let him sleep. (laughs) Jesus be like, guys, I'm talking about death. He's dead. So why, then, does Jesus call death sleep? He's showing them a totally different perspective on death than they have. Because most people fear death. They see death as something that wins out, but to Jesus, death is no worse than sleep. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) Death is no worse than sleep to Jesus. He doesn't wait because he doesn't care about Lazarus. He waits because death is powerless with him. Raising Lazarus is going to be easier for Jesus than it will be for some of you to wake up your kids for school on Monday morning. (laughs) It, It... or your spouse for work, or, or your cat, I don't know. Jesus has reason to allow Lazarus to die, reasons that even his sisters and his disciples, those closest to him, couldn't see. And here's the thing, just because Jesus, just because we can't see a reason for any given experience of suffering doesn't mean that there cannot be one. So philosopher J.L. Mackey posed his case against God in a book he wrote in the 1980s, This way, he said, If a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is much unjustifiable pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful God could not exist. Some other God or no God may exist, but not the traditional God. So his statement has been broadly critiqued by many philosophers, religious and and not, because of his assertion of the premise that if evil seems pointless to me then it must be pointless. Does that make it pointless because I think it is? Is it possible, if not probable, that if God is great and transcendent enough to be mad at for not stopping evil and suffering in the world that just maybe he could be great and transcendent enough to have sufficient reason for allowing it to continue that we can't see? But we can't have it both ways. So as long as it's even possible that God has some good reason for doing things the way he has, it's impossible to show that he is unjust or impotent or unloving. So take for example, uh, the biblical story, not just story, narrative, true events of the life of Joseph. So here's this guy who was favored by his father and hated by his brothers because of it. So they decided to kill him and they thought, no, we can actually make it seem like he's dead and actually make some money off of it too, so that's what we'll do. So they threw him in a pit, left him there, and then when the opportunity came along, they sold him uh, to slave traders. They took the cash and Joseph went away into a life of slavery. And while he was a, a servant in that country, he was accused of a crime that he didn't commit and he spent years in prison I'm sure. So, does this sound like a, a an encouraging story so far? Sounds like a, like it kind of sucks to me. <laughs> uh, a little bit of suffering, a little bit of evil going on with the brothers and with his slavery and imprisonment. I'm sure Joseph probably spent more than one night on his knees crying out to God with probably no answer. Probably a lot of no answers, no shows. And eventually, through a series of events that God orchestrated, he was all of a sudden elevated to second in command of the entire nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. The reason? Joseph didn't see it, but God knew exactly what he was doing through many painful events in Joseph's life. Thousands of lives were spared including those of his family and his brothers who actually wanted to kill him to begin with. Their lives were spared. And if God hadn't allowed Joseph to suffer, he would have never saved a nation and all of their neighbors. It is a truly gospel story that points us to Jesus. He was eventually able to see it himself and he said this to his brothers in the end. You guys... He, he could have used a lot of choice words at that moment, but he said, you guys meant it for evil, but God. I love those two words in Scripture, but God. It changes everything. But God meant it for good. So this is powerful. Uh, pastor Matt, our lead pastor, um, saw an interview and he, and he went back and, and re-watched it and wrote it down of uh, Stephen Colbert. He's uh, like late night show host, right? Who was interviewed by Anderson Cooper, who's the anchor of CNN. So Cooper interviews Colbert. And at one point in the interview, Anderson Cooper brought up the fact that when Colbert was a child, this is true, his father and his brothers were killed in a plane crash. And he said to Colbert, you told an interviewer that you have learned to, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. He went on to say, what punishments of God are not gifts? Then Cooper's voice actually cracked. He was visibly choked up and confused as he asked Colbert, do you really believe that? And after a long pause, Stephen Colbert said, yes, it is a gift to exist and with existence comes suffering and there's no escape from that. I didn't learn that I was grateful for the thing I most wish didn't happen, it's that I realized it. If you are grateful for your life, which is a positive thing to do, then you have to be grateful for all of it. And what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss, which allows you to connect with that other person, which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being. And if it's true that all humans suffer, and so at a young age, I suffered something so that by the time I was in serious relationships in my life with my wife or my children, is that I had... some understanding that everybody is suffering and however imperfectly acknowledge their suffering and to connect with them and to love them in a deep way that not only accepts that all of us suffer but also then makes you grateful that you have suffered so that you can know that about other people. And that's what I mean. It's about the fullness of your humanity. What's the point of being here and being human if you can't be the most human that you can be. I want to be the most human I can be and that involves acknowledging and ultimately being grateful for the things I most wish didn't happen because they gave me a gift. In my tradition, that's the great sacrifice of Christ. God does it too. That you're really not alone. God does it too. And then Cooper very quickly changed the subject. (laughs) Next. There's something in in social psychology that's called the boomerang effect. And so it's this. In attempting to show that suffering, as it relates to this topic, in attempting to show that suffering is evidence against an all-loving, all-powerful God, it has, in fact, over and over again had the opposite effect. That suffering turns us to God to acknowledge His power and His love. Take a look at what happened in the days, especially the Sunday after 9-11 in New York City. The churches were never as full as they were then. So like Colbert, many of us can testify to the fact that the sufferings we have faced actually have been gifts. gifts. Gifts we wouldn't wish on anyone or that we would choose for ourselves, but gifts in the sense that we see what they accomplish in our lives. They build in us compassion and empathy. They strengthen our faith. They remind us of our need for God. They create a longing for the new heavens and the new earth. (laughs) They increase in us hope that there is something so much better waiting for us on the other side of death. Uh, On Monday, I was uh, at a volunteer appreciation dinner in Agassiz for the fall fair. So the people that volunteer, they put on a dinner after the fair. And so I'm sitting at this table with uh, three other people, four other people, and there's two ladies deep in conversation about their gardening. And uh, it was interesting, and all of a sudden we were included in the conversation, and they were talking about this one plant in particular. I'm not a gardener, so I have no clue. But uh, some people were having a hard time getting these plants to grow, and they look kind of whatever, and this lady says, well, I just kept cutting it. I just kept pruning that plant, and you know what happened? And these ladies, they weren't believers as far as I could tell. They said, you know what happened? The more I pruned it, the more this thing kept growing. (laughs) And I just went, "Mm hmm. The fact is, Scripture talks about Jesus pruning us. Pruning is painful. It hurts to be cut. But what I also know about pruning is that is when the gardener is closest to the plant. And God is close to us, and he's pruning us because he wants us to grow, and he wants us to flourish. He wants us to be a healthy plant in his kingdom. So you know what's made me a better pastor? I, I, I hope that I'm a decent pastor. <laughs> I think I'm better than I used to be. Uh, suffering. Um, I burned out badly, and I left ministry for a while, a long while, actually, I went through an extremely painful time. Just ask my wife, I couldn't get out of bed. I was depressed. Couldn't sleep without a sleeping pill. I'd never taken more than five Tylenol in my whole life. Couldn't sleep, couldn't think. I was angry. I was one hurting unit for quite a long time. And it was on my sabbatical. That I got in a way that I would never have wished, but it was exactly what I needed. Uh, I read a book. I don't even know where I got it from, but I read a book called by Dan Allender called "Leading with a Limp," and that was encouraging because the failures, and I failed in many ways. Have to admit that the failures, the flaws that. Humanize leaders and pastors actually makes them more desirable to follow. When we're real with people and they see our suffering, that actually attracts them to you. So this flies in the premise that there could be no good reason for suffering. <clears throat> But we all inherently know that it is suffering more than anything else that builds our character and our courage and a deep love for other people because finally we understand. And so all of these scenarios came about because Jesus didn't show up. (laughs) This is what was all at play. But then he does show up and look at what happens. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days by the time Jesus arrives. And it says when Mary and Martha and Jesus uh, they, they see Jesus, the first thing out of their mouths is, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they both say the same thing to Jesus, verse 21 and verse 32, the two sisters, because they probably said the same thing over and over again to themselves and to each other so many times that when Jesus showed up, it's like, if you had only been here, their plan was that Jesus would, would show up while Lazarus was still alive and heal him, but he didn't, and it hurt, and it crushed them. And then so Jesus says to Martha, it's a, you know, your brother's going to rise again. Kind of matter of fact, kind of cold. <laughs> I don't think it was very helpful to, to Martha. Well, she's like, well, sure. I mean, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but that doesn't help me right now. The whole interaction probably didn't bring the sisters the solace that they were seeking. To them, it probably seemed like Jesus was a little bit aloof, a little bit distant, if not downright cold. Like, what about now? And and you see, when it, when it comes right down to it, like, again, we can philosophize all we want, but we're much more like children than philosophers. Our pain is real and urgent. And uh, But Christianity uh, doesn't just offer... Uh, hope in the future; it offers present hope as well. Jesus said, "I've come to give you life, and to give it to you abundantly." And that doesn't just mean on the, on the other side of this life into the next; it means now. What Jesus wanted them to see was that their greatest need wasn't to have their brother back. Their greatest need really was to have Jesus. And Jesus looked at Martha in the eye and he said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, it's me. It's me that you need. Yes, your brother was a great guy, but you need me. You see, our our hope isn't in an event. It's in in a person, and that person is Jesus, and nothing can stop Jesus from giving life because he doesn't just have life. He is life. Nate, I liked what you said. Jesus doesn't just tell us the truth. (laughs) He is truth. He is life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he said to them, do you Do you believe this? Even though you die, yet you will live because I am life? Do you believe it? But after that exchange with Martha, Mary comes to Jesus, and, and, and all of those mourning the death of Jesus come out as well, and Jesus witnesses all of them weeping. And he doesn't say to them in that moment, I love this. So when Jesus shows up, he doesn't say to them, Hey, no, 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 no. Like, stop it, stop it. <laughs> That's it. just stop. It's all gonna be fine. You don't need to cry. You don't need to be a bunch of ball babies. It, the scripture says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. This is what, I love this about the story. I love it. It shows us the humanity of Jesus. This story shows us exactly who Jesus is. His deity That he's an all powerful, all loving God, but it shows us his humanity. That he gets cut to the core, and that Jesus simply, verse 35, he wept. He wept. Does Jesus care about suffering? Here's your answer He wept. He joined their pain, he entered their grief. And he is a model for us to not shy away from uncomfortable situations or avoid pain, either ours or someone else's. But we're instructed, we're shown here and we're instructed in Romans 12 to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, and to enter their suffering. So I shared with you a little bit the story of my burnout And Marcy and I tried after that uh, painful experience in our lives to attend church. Uh, Pretty much immediately after that, we went to a couple of different churches. And we just sat there and and all I could do was cry. And for me, it was a little bit embarrassing at that moment. So we just uh, stayed home for a long time. And I was a pastor uh, at that point for like about 15 years. I didn't know anything else but... Sunday morning at church and uh, we didn't know what to do so we had coffee on the patio, it seemed really strange, we would go for motorcycle rides that was pretty cool (laughs) Uh, but uh, nonetheless like our whole world was just turned upside down and when I was going through that whole experience, um, there was one faithful friend, his name is Gilbert he would call me and he would meet with me regularly and I remember one time sat with him in Tim Horton's uh, Promontory Inveter, Vedder, Chilwack, and, Vetter, and uh, I couldn't stop crying. I mean, I was suffering with depression and there was a lot of pain there. And I just I sat with him and I just couldn't stop crying. In fact, I was bawling like a baby in Tim Hortons. And Gilbert sat right, he's a really big man, big burly man that can pull logs out of the forest with two hands, kind of a guy, right? And he does, literally, he's huge. Big Sasquatch. He sits across the table from me and grabs my hands and just holds onto them and he closes his eyes. And he just let me cry. Didn't say a word, must have been quite the sight, Tim Hortons, (laughs) two grown men. Sitting there, holding hands, two <laughs> hands, two hands, like we were a couple or something. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm just bawling. And he let me. And he loved me. And he prayed for me. Rebecca McLaughlin said, Christians truly following Jesus are deeply attached and covered in tears their own, and those of others, just like their Lord. And yet we hear the accusation all the time, God doesn't care. But, you know, the space between Lazarus' death and Jesus calling him out of the tomb is the space in which Mary and Martha see Jesus for who he really is. He is their life. He cares about them. And now, to finish this off, you're wondering, when am I ever going to conclude this? Chris knows that I, (laughs) I share a lot of stories and I preach long, so... My apologies, but here we go. When Now we see when Jesus not only shows up, but he shows up in power. He turns death into resurrection. Then Jesus deeply moved again, deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been in there for four days. The King James translation says... Martha goes, he, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> you know, men, they smell bad at the best of times. <laughs> but can you imagine a guy lying in bed for four days with no deodorant? That's pretty nasty. But nothing compared to lying dead for four days in a tomb, a hot tomb. And, and, the, and the fact at this point when Jesus is about to roll away the stone and they're telling him, no, 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 don't do it like he stinketh, Lord, means that they have no clue what's about to happen. It's awesome. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out of there. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him. Get those things off of him. Let him go. And here we see why Jesus didn't come right away because the crowd had not yet gathered. And now there's all these onlookers and they're deep in mourning and grief with his family. And Jesus says, now's the right time to reveal who I am to these people. Now's the time. In their suffering, I am the resurrection and the life. Not only has Jesus shown us his overwhelming love, but he proved it in his power over the greatest of all evil and suffering, the last enemy to be destroyed, and that is death. So neither claim posed against him that he's neither powerful enough or loving enough can stand. Jesus proved it, that he had the power to keep his promise and his promises are to those who believe him that though they physically die, they will live eternally with him. And my question to all of you tonight is, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Don't walk out of here without being convinced because we don't know when our number will be called. That those who hope in Jesus have a great hope for today, tonight, when you walk out of here, but a great hope for a future on the other side of this life. Now, you, some of you may be thinking, well, there might, there's, I'm in such a place in my life that there is no eternal pleasure, no future hope that could ever make up for the evil and suffering that's taken place in my life. The, the next quote by uh, Fyodor Dostovsky, a Russian novelist, is like, for me, I just go, wow. He said, I believe, like a child, that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. And I go, wow. Just because I can't conceive of how that might be possible doesn't mean that it isn't. And friends, just read the end of the story. Revelation 21 and 22. Because here's the best news of all. Jesus doesn't just feel sorry for us in our pain. He takes the agony himself. See, Christianity stands alone in its claim that God has became human in Jesus and that he knows our despair our rejection our poverty our loneliness our loss injustice and torture because he went to the cross and so on the cross he went beyond the worst of all human suffering experiencing cosmic rejection and the pain and a pain so great that it exceeds what we can imagine And in his death on the cross, God suffered in love, identifying with the abandoned and the brokenhearted and removed the very things that causes all of this suffering to begin with, and that is sin. (laughs) Jesus paid the penalty of our sin on the cross where he suffered so that one day all suffering and evil and death can be vanquished once and for all. And that's what we now get to remember as we celebrate and partake of a piece of bread and a little bit of juice. Which symbolize, albeit insufficiently, but it's what we have. It's what he told us to do. His body, which was broken for us. And his blood, which was shed for us. So this is what happened before Jesus suffered. He said as they were eating the last supper together that he would ever eat on this earth. He took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to all of them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this is the hope, for I tell you that I won't drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you, in my Father's kingdom. The beauty of this passage that we studied today is that death doesn't get the last word. Amen? Jesus has spoken. The sickness didn't end in death, and neither will yours or your loved ones. It ends in resurrection through Christ. Jesus, not death, gets the final word, and his word is this. And this is what I want you to have ringing in your ears as you come to these two stations to partake of the bread and the cup. I am the resurrection and the life. I'll see you in my Father's kingdom and we're gonna do this together. So let's pray and then Nate is gonna lead us here. Oh Lord Jesus, what is... not just a story, what an amazing account of your incredible power and love for us. And I, and I just ask God that as we now go to these stations, as we worship you in song, that we would just hear over and over again the words of hope that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, shall live Lord, help us to hear this, not just tonight, but to hear it every day of our lives and to tell others about it because it's the best thing that we have in this world of evil and suffering. You are good. You love us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.